guys in the house. It is the first episode of season two of Echoes on Air. So I'm super, super excited. Who knew that was coming? I just decided to randomly do a thing and it was at a, it was literally at a bar after a show. And somebody was like, hey, you know, you should really do that as a podcast. And I was like, you know, people keep saying I should do that as a podcast, but I don't know. And Jack was like, you know, I do podcasts. And I was like, do you? And then we were doing a podcast. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Um, so yeah, I'm super, super excited um, to start season two. We've got a brand new look. So um, check us out on the website at www.echoesofthestruggle.com. Um, new website, new logo, new everything. Like literally new year Buddhist type of situation popping off. Um, so I'm super excited. Um, before we dive into uh, the topic, which will probably take a little bit of the laughter out of my voice, um, how about we do a round table of introductions. For those of you who don't know, I'm Janelle Gray, co-producer and host, and uh, we will, and Jack the ghost, who you won't hear, but he's here, and we'll go to our new, brand new co-host. That's me. Uh, hi, y'all. I'm Chris. I am uh, new to new for, you know, 2019, uh, co-hosting the pod, which I'm really excited about. Uh, thanks, Jack. Thanks, Janelle. Y'all the best. Um, yeah, but that's me. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I'm next then. So, uh, my name is Carlos. This is my third time on the podcast. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I, I, I consider myself more of a listener, but I like getting into these conversations because you know how to pull them out of me. So, I um, appreciate it. So, yeah, no, it, it's, I'm excited to be back. It's always a good time. So, yeah. Um, my name is Celeste, and this is actually my first time. Okay. Hey, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Sweet. And we also have one remote coming in because we are not just about Dallas, Texas. We sometimes call some other people. So I'm in Austin, branching out. We're still in Texas, but you know, just a little bit. I'm Texas. Tara. Texas. Tara Tashki. Um, I am a writer, which is why I'm in this room, so to speak, uh, virtually anyway. Uh, I'm a singer. I musical theater. You know, all those does all the stuff. I make jewelry. I don't think I knew you made. You know what? We'll talk about this after. I don't think I knew that you made jewelry. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's not. That's not about I, the podcast. But <laughs> we'll talk to you later about that. I do want to yeah. know about that information. So our first topic. I couldn't really decide at first what I wanted to talk about, and then the R. Kelly thing happened, and I. I, I'm going to be honest. Um, I fought. I fought against doing a podcast about R. Kelly, and I think the reason that I fought against it is because I was like, I don't want to give this anymore. I don't want to give him any more airtime than he's already getting. Like I'm like it's already all over the place, and I just kind of I resisted and I fought, and then it got to a point where it's like I'm doing. You know, if I'm if I'm doing what I say I want to do with Echoes which is, you know, making sure that we're sharing experiences and just kind of diving into these topics. I would be doing my own wish for Echoes a disservice by not talking about it. We're going to talk about R. Kelly. We're not going to focus on R. Kelly. He just happens to be the example that is prevalent in the news media for right now. But we're going to talk about that and human trafficking. I, what I didn't realize until I was also putting this together is that it is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And I didn't actually realize that. And I think that's really what solidified 
my resolve to to have this episode. So um, I just want to kind of start there. Um, from what you guys read, what is human trafficking specifically? Like, what is your understanding of what human trafficking is? From what I understood or what I, I understand of it, it's uh, just basically the selling of, and not even in the prostitution type. It so, starts to get, it starts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but go ahead, no, like, it's, um, it's like. It's just, just selling people. And that's the best way I, 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 I understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm pretty sure there are nuances and mm-hmm. things that uh, break off and different everythings, but that's the basics of what I understand of it. What about you? I know that human trafficking is a... Yeah, um, basically, in a nutshell, it's selling people, basically, but in Texas, I don't think people realize how much is happening around us. Mm. Actually human trafficking is huge in Houston. It happens, I mean, Houston's a huge area for it, and Dallas is actually becoming an area for it. There's actually a couple of, I guess, safe houses that are actually being developed here because it is happening so, so, so much. And it's becoming more prevalent in the DFW area. And you know, you didn't actually say, you just said you're Celeste, which is sufficient, but you also didn't say what your knowledge where you're you're yes okay so i'm celeste um i'm a counselor and i also uh, work very closely kind of with this topic two reasons a as a counselor you have to right because there's people there's girls and boys because we we always focus on the girls but they're boys too as a counselor you have to be very much aware of what's happening with the students you have to look for uh signals and cues and you have to be very cognizant of it so as a counselor, we have to very continuously, we have to educate ourselves and just look for signs that I think are so noticeable, but because we're so busy with our everyday lives, we can kind of miss it. And so according to what I read, I'm going to read you from uh, this website. It says human trafficking involves recruitment, harboring and transporting people into a situation of Um, exploitation through the use of violence, deception, or coercion, and forced to work against their will. Um, And so it's not even specific. I think what we we think of human trafficking, I think we automatically go to sex trafficking. Um, And we automatically go to girls. We automatically go to the sex trafficking of, of, of girls and maybe younger women. Um, but it's not just about that. It's also about the exploitation um, of them. So I think that's also an important um, distinction to make when we're talking about it. What don't? What do you think people don't realize besides the fact that it's happening around us? I think for for me in researching, that's what I didn't realize. I kind of didn't realize that um, a lot of it in my head was the transport mm-hmm. of people. That there was like mm-hmm. always a, like a like a some kind of like taking people across a certain border like it can yeah. it can happen that's not in like necessarily always a part of it um and yeah the whole idea that it's not just sex work that just that's where my brain always went with it but mm-hmm. gosh when you start clicking into it carnivals and i i, I just am shocked by some of the stuff that people are the kind of work that people are doing places where you would never think that people are being held against their will or yeah, it's just shocking. I didn't, now even, 
I didn't even think about carnivals. Tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking. With one one article that I was reading uh, was just talking about there's all kinds recreational facilities, uh, healthcare, forestry, uh, factories and manufacturing, commercial cleaning services, landscaping, hotels, like. It's terrifying how many businesses, a lot of services uh, seem to be doing this. Restaurants, bars, it's it's crazy. Well, I would say that actually the, the example of, of circuses clarifies it a lot because there's a history of circuses and carnivals, especially like when you think of the quote unquote freak show, a lot of those people were under contract, but they were dubiously negotiated contracts wherein they would either accrue a lot of debt to the person who was running the carnival or the circus, or it would just be a situation where you're so valuable, I refuse to let you leave. And it would also have a trafficking component insofar as like these, these circus owners or carnival owners would sell these contracts of these people to each other. So they were literally selling this person to another traveling act or whatever. And I think that that's, that provides kind of a clear example of, of a situation where you create a dependency, where you begin to trade people or sell them for other acts or whatever, and where people are not allowed to leave, right? So I actually want to kind of keep going with this not allowed to leave um, thought process, because one of the things that um, of course, I've heard is that we're comparing this a lot to the Me Too movement, specifically with R. Kelly, right? Because not just because of the children, but we're talking about even younger women, women who technically were adults, even though that wasn't his Jewish apparently, but um, women who were technically adults, 18, 19, 20, super young. But the exploitation of, I suppose, I guess they're naivete. I'm wondering what you guys think of about that with respect to the Me Too movement? Does it deserve to kind of be in the same house or are they big enough to just stand on their own? Like why why the connection to the Me Too movement, do you think? I think there's so many different aspects of it that you it has to stand alone. With human trafficking, there are victims that are literally like physically taken from their families and they have like no self, like they don't, it's not like I'm willingly going to go. It's like I am, I've been kidnapped basically. That's it. Especially like in other countries too. They literally will take you off street. They will never see their family m- member again or be able to have any type of contact with them. Okay. So that's a, I mean, that's yeah. a different piece, right? And I'm trying to watch my words. Then there's the R. Kelly movement. Okay. I think, because I'm, I'm a mother. I have a daughter. We have to educate our women on not wanting it so bad. I'm going to make you a singer. Come to my house. I don't want it that bad. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't want it that bad. I'm not saying it was that way for every situation. But I think in some situations, young ladies have got to get their esteem back. Like, I'm not going to a studio at 1 o'clock in the morning because I'm, I'm worth more than that. I'm not, I'm not going to your house at two o'clock in the morning. That struck me with the Art Kelly thing. That was, I just saw myself in that. I, I was a little baby performer and like anything to be a star, you know, like I would have done anything and I'm watching these girls make these choices and you look at it from the outside without a lot of the detail and you go, oh, I would never, this is, they must be so 
you know, whatever. You could make a lot of judgments about these women or girls. And I would have 100% fallen for it. I, w- I, I would have done anything. And you're right. I, it's self-esteem, but it's, I mean, the, the lure of fame or the lure of your literal dreams. You will do anything for your dreams. And this specific dream that he can dangle in front of anyone is, it's the ultimate temptation for a lot of women. And I totally would have fallen for it with my family and how involved it doesn't matter. Like I can totally see why, why it happens the way it does. You know, I, I, I try to separate the whole me too movement and what's going on with the Arlie Kelly situation, because whenever I think of me too, I always think of aggression and I always think of, um, I don't want to say violence, but I always think of men forcing themselves and women saying no, and I always think of consent and I always think of that. With the art, well, the this whole situation. Sometimes there's situations where the man would kidnap kids and take them mm-hmm. away, but they are also really just manipulative. And sometimes these kids want to go away. Ain't no telling what's going on in their family lives. Not saying that it's right or anything, but I think that whereas uh, with Me Too, where it feels so. Um, in your face, I, he sent me a text. I said no; it was inappropriate. He kept going. He cornered me in the the corner. I told him stop. He wouldn't. All that stuff, as compared to, are oh, you really pretty? Um, your family isn't treating you right. I can take you somewhere where it's is it, it just seems so much more psychological. Than, yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds it sounds a lot more insidious that way, right? right? Because right. and and looking at what and just the way that you just laid that out, right? It is super up front, essentially, mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. you walk into a room and someone says something out of the way to you or makes you feel that you have to do a thing or, or um, you know, assaults you just outright. It is kind of like in that moment um, versus what you're describing. This where grooming there is, that yeah, takes that, place. The grooming mm-hmm. that takes place and then the, and, and the patience that's mm-hmm. required to make that right. happen. You right. know what I mean? Which, and I've never... Patience has never sounded like such a horrible word until mm-hmm. just right then. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Patience is is one of those things that I all I often say it's not a thing that I do. I don't do patience well. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. God knows I am. But when I make when I make my mind up about something, I want it and I want it now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. I have that sort of thing. And so I keep saying I, I need more patience. And it sounds like such a good thing to have until this situation when you think, God, if... Then it just sounds disgusting. It just sounds <laughs> dirty. Well, I, mean, right. I think in this case, it, 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 it's not really patience because he's getting what he wants the whole time, right? Because what he wants uh. out of it is clearly, like, the fact that he goes through this cycle with so many different women is what he enjoys is breaking you down to the point where consent is no longer a possibility, right? Mm. Like, because I agree that every... The first several steps from from watching the documentary, it does seem like the first several steps are always consensual, even even to the point that some of these people will fight their parents like, no, 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 he's going to make me a star. I'm going to go. But clearly the way that he operates is 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 literally to remove the possibility of consent so that he can then do whatever he wants. Right. Mm -hmm. Is to make these women financially dependent upon him emotionally dependent upon him, isolate them from anybody else who might be like an opposing influence in their life, um, make them, like he really trains them to be physically dependent on him, like like 
They can't go to the bathroom unless he says. They can't eat unless he like gives them food. So it, it becomes, again, a process of taking away all consent. And it's interesting because it does, um, to get back to sort of the human trafficking angle, it's not like it's not all like the beginning of human trafficking because again every step at the beginning is voluntary. But as I was reading about human trafficking, it looked so similar to the end result because the end result is there's young girls running around and somehow they never have their own cash and somehow like they're always on a plane but they don't really have like enough stuff that would go with them to be mm -hmm. on the plane mm -hmm. and there's always an older man around that's kind of paying for everything if you try to speak to them the man is going to talk for them instead and not that human trafficking is just women but like that that whole situation of there is a person here who basically functions as not a person like you're not allowed to be a person in the real world you're not allowed to exchange money and goods you're not allowed to speak to other people outside of this group that you're it's like almost like it's their luggage it's their yeah it's like carrying yeah. like on on a plane situation it's literally like this is i'm just carrying this is and what i'm transporting really, this is how i it becomes the same thing like the the end goal of the way that r kelly abuses women and human traffickers is again to to have a person that is no longer a person. That's the goal of all slavery, right? Mm. Is to have a person that doesn't function as a person, but only does. They function as they function as that service that exactly. is requested, whatever that is. Which, and, and again, going back. So, and I'm actually going to read this list. Well, I say I'm going to read this list, but I'm old and blind, so we'll see. Um, but I'm going to try and read this list. Um, um, and and I think it's Polaris that it's pronounced, which is a global nonprofit organization, um, uh, I guess, dealing with human trafficking. And so they are, it's, it's a report that broke it down into 25 types, where it's escort services, illicit massage, health and beauty, outdoor solicitation, residential, domestic work, bars and strip clubs and cantinas, pornography, traveling sales crews, um, restaurant and food services, peddling and begging, agriculture and animal husbandry, personal sex servitude, health and beauty services, construction, hotels and hospitality, landscaping, illicit activities, arts and entertainment, commercial cleaning services, factories and, manufacture, and manufacturing, remote interactive sexual acts, carnivals, forestry and logging, healthcare, and recreational facilities. And I'm gonna put this link in because I think that it bears like, and, and for those of you that read the article, you can kind of speak to this, but it, when I looked at that list, I was like, I'm trying to figure out how we're gonna make these connections to human trafficking. But I also wanna point out that that list was created after this particular organization started looking at all the examples of trafficking and then they had to create categories like subcategories to put them in mm -hmm. which means and the reason i'm pointing this out which means that there was sufficient examples in each of these categories to warrant having an entire category right and the fact that you know as humans, we often consume arts and entertainment. As humans, we often stay at hotels and eat at restaurants. Um, as humans, we go to carnivals and circuses and um, 
interact with healthcare, and some people have, you know, hire um, domestic workers, and hell, the health and beauty alone, the amount of money that we spend in that, what that means is on a day-to-day basis, you as an individual have an enormous chance of interacting with someone who is in, who's being human trafficked. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, and that, I think, out of everything that I read, I was like, like, and that's kind of what I meant by us not seeing the signs. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going about our day, we're busy, and we don't recognize sometimes like blatant signs. Mm -hmm. Like it's right, we don't even see it. I I think it's because whenever we say any those. buzzwords sex trafficking you think violence and in your face and people getting snatched you don't think about uh these kids or people being sold to carnival and and working in food services and all you don't think about that thing so it's it's kind of like you if we are watching we're watching for the wrong thing yes we're the thing is is we don't know the signs and we're going to talk about the signs a little bit later too because i think that needs to have its own um little section and I'm going to kind of lean on you to kind of tell us some of the signs that you've learned um, to look for but um, I think you're right I think it's because but I also think it's because we don't even know these categories like you said we're we don't even know that these categories exist Um, and so you know I started thinking um, and this is going to be very simplistic so just go with me here but like the amount of times that you stay in a hotel right and the people, you know, the housekeeping that comes to your hotel, the things that we are seen on, that, that we're shown on TV or in movies is that they are taught to not be seen, right? Um, that these people are taught be- because, and, and not in some nefarious way, but they're taught to not be seen so as to protect whatever it is that that, that consumer um, has going on. Like, I want to be on vacation. I don't want to deal with the day-to-day of cleaning something. So it's supposed to just be magic, essentially, right? So these people are taught not to be seen. And I think that that's the thing that I I think, right? So when I leave my hotel room and I come back and the bed is made, it's magic. But I don't think about the people that I've passed in the hall that are taught not to be seen. I don't know how many of them are not being seen because it's just part of their job and how many of them are not being seen because they're in danger. I think that's what I was sitting with when I was reading those things. And it just never, again, it never occurred to me that these are things that I should be thinking about. These are things. And I I also wonder, to throw out to the group, is it, is it our own selfishness, our own... Like, the fact that we hardly look up from our phones, the fact that we hardly, like, do we even know what to look for anymore? Do we even know what humanity to look for in each other anymore? Like, how how do you know that someone is hurting? It's one of those situations, for me at least, I expect somebody else to notice it before I do. They'll catch it before I catch it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no way these people could be, you know, working in this area and there was nobody to catch that. They didn't have this, that, and the third. So I'm not going to look your way because I assume it was taken care of. There were too of. many other rings there, there of was, people to right, have caught it. To caught, and, and why or how would I notice if these officials didn't, uh, didn't notice it? So I think 
for me, that's why I don't think about it. I, I assume somebody else caught it's it. It's gone through some, but I think we also assume that if they did see it, somebody would say something. And somebody would say something, right. And unfortunately, especially based on what we're seeing with R. Kelly, some people didn't say anything. Well, a lot of people. I mean, right. <laughs> everyone who's ever worked with them, and, and a lot of people did say something, and we still didn't listen. And didn't listen. Yeah. But or 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 did they just not say it loud enough? Like like, there's mm-hmm. also a level of like, you can say something and say something and say something and say something. Like do, I, I walk around and wear a t-shirt. Like what? Like at what point do you know what I mean? Like you. You can't just say something and walk away. In 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 the R. Kelly situation, some of the parents didn't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when R. Kelly was on trial, the young lady's father, I, he, he wouldn't even testify. Oh yeah, and 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 I mean, I we can speculate about what why the girl didn't testify, but the main reason he wasn't convicted is because the girl who was in the child pornography tapes did not testify against mm-hmm. him. She she would have had to have said this with him. And obviously that was like, you know, clearly her family also did not want to. Right. I mean. Did not want her to be involved. So, but then this also goes back to. I don't don't want to keep tying it to this, but there's an argument that I've had with a couple of family members. And again, separate from Me Too, but the same argument that that I'm approaching here. Um, And that there's still a level of dependence on a situation. Um, So, for example, looking specifically at the Me Too movement, if this person has the potential to hire you or give you a promotion, what have you, and the only way you're going to be able to pay for your child's whatever or your rent or whatever the case may be, um, the only way that you can do that is by taking this job or by taking this promotion. And then they use that against them, right? To what degree is it the fault of that person? And to what degree? So now taking that argument that I was saying, or I was like, I, I get it. Like, I, I'm lucky that I've never been in a situation. I have too many friends and family. I'm never going to starve. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I'm always going to have a place to stay. I'm I am good, but I am not the only example of human in the world. And there are people who don't have that. So applying that to this particular situation where we're talking about R. Kelly, I don't I don't know this particular because I I was trying really hard not to consume too much because it was too heavy for me. But yeah. And so I try like to limit what I take in. But specific to this particular guy, if he has other children, if. Um, if he doesn't know how he's going to eat, if if there is something that's there that's exploiting it, and I and I get that it's like this is your child, like this is I I get that, but I'm also asking what you guys think about about that, like what what if he doesn't know how he's going to feed all of his children, then what happens? Well, like, I mean, I would say that this also connects to the broader Me Too thing, insofar as it's always. Um, dangerous and dangerous doesn't mean you never do it but it's always dangerous to combine sex with any kind of power dynamic Mm -hmm. power differential um and that's you know there are also power differentials that are sort of in some ways inherent in sexual relations right but like any kind of disparity that is too extreme Mm -hmm. i think 
we just as a society should just know that's not something where sex should be involved. In the same way as we know that like, that's why we say that it's not okay for uh, uh, even like a 25 year old to have sex with a 17 year old, right? Mm -hmm. There's just too great of a power dynamic difference. This person over here is like a full grown adult out in the world paying their bills whatsoever, whatever, whatever. This person is a child. And we just, we understand that because we want, of all things, mm -hmm. sex to be where we have our freest choices, where mm -hmm. we have the least coercion in our lives. And so I think that it's incumbent upon someone like R. Kelly, who is constantly going to be interacting with mm -hmm. people who are from where he's from, mm -hmm. from situations of poverty, from situations of lack of resources, from situations of lack of investment. When he relates, like, it, like sex should be the farthest thing from in any way relating to that because you know that already you represent so much opportunity to people that you have such an unfair power advantage in yes. any situation. And that's it just like that is a situation where sex just should not come into play unless you are going to like, you know, I, you could you could also say like, like, yeah, if like one adult who's rich and one adult who's poor should mm -hmm. like they can have sexual relations with normal. Right. But <laughs> but again, but even that should come in a place of commitment yeah. to a certain extent, to a place of because the, even then you can have I mean, lots of people are in ordinary relationships that still have unhealthy power dynamics and still have sexual coercion mm -hmm. because, oh, no. OK, if I don't do what he or she wants in terms of sex, then all of a sudden, you know, they're gonna, my allowance is gone. Right. My, yeah, now my, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is part of the reason that we do have things like, like commitments. Yes. But, but my question still is how much of the blame goes on that parent? Because we're talking, because what we said was, but the dad didn't say anything. And I'm, go ahead. Because you've been, I, I know. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No. Because no. I had a whole, well, no, I, I tend to get on Facebook and I have these conversations and I, um, I try to stay away from it because people get on Facebook and they get really ignorant and um and nastily and, so and and, and, nasty. and you know I I'm just, very just, I am just very, rude just and rude so nasty and so rude but um you know I I I I think I am a very um, non-biased person whenever I go into these conversations I obvious have, obviously have some biases but or biases I've. Right. Side note, what, it was one of the other. Yeah, I had to go look it up one day. <laughs> anyway, um, no, so, um, but I try to ask questions because my job uh, in this conversation isn't to try to prove you wrong. I just want to understand. I want to learn. I want to learn yeah. where is this coming from. And um, But uh, I had a whole uh, conversation with this guy, and he was like, um, you know, the parents uh, had some faults in it because they shouldn't have, you know, basically sent them to him. And, uh, you know, his team has some responsibility in that because they watched it go down. He has some responsibility in it. And he also said the victims had responsibility in it. And that's why I lost it. And I was like, to me, as an, I was once a 14, 15-year-old. Hmm. I wanted sex. If I would go to an adult and say, I want sex, that is that adult's job to tell me no as the adult, as the one with the power in the situation. So... <clears throat> And he was going through this whole conversation and was trying his hardest, hardest to just acknowledge that R. Kelly, ultimately, when all the other barriers failed, he was the last one and he failed. And they all 
deserve some type of responsibility. And That's horrible. I don't think. The, so whilst they they share some culpability. He ain't the last. He, he right. is absolutely he's the first. The first oh, he's the middle, because, the last. Right. Like, he's like, if, if he had stage. stopped, there would have never he, been a record. There, there right. was no reason for them to call him on it because it would have never happened. Right. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, but you know, I. so when uh, the Leah thing came out, so I, first of all, the moment I saw the tapes when I was in high school. This is when he's about to tell his age, because I'm like, wait a minute. I remember. Because I, I like, refused to watch those tapes. <laughs> I mean, I was also too young to watch them, but I yeah. was like, oh, no. I was interested, because I was a fan. I was like, oh, not R. Kelly. And, you know, when you're young, those rumors and stuff, you kind of want to check up on it. Just like, oh, not this person. Let me see. And I saw the videos and everything. I'm like, oh, his, it's clearly this man. And from that point on out for me, I was like, he obviously is what he is and um but then you get those conversations from people in uh the community the black community who who well she's fast and uh she's she wanted it anyway and she's this and blah 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 and it makes my skin crawl because regardless at the end of the day he is the adult she is the child if that child asked R. Kelly for a penthouse suite in New York I bet he knew how to say no to that right Right. I bet he knew how to say no to a car. <laughs> but and I mean, the, but right. But right, you know, so why couldn't he have just stopped? And I, I don't feel like there should be a conversation up after that. But what about the girls? And what about, the, why couldn't he just not do it, period? So but so now here's the thing. And I think, Tara, you said something like this um, in, your, in the article that we just posted on the blog, too. Um, which brings me to my next question, which is how much does toxic mascul- masculinity play a part in this in terms of how it how we interact with it? Because I think that to me is the fact that you can say that it's the child's fault um, and that the girl was too fast. I, like, I, I don't I don't know that I've ever heard someone say that about a, a, a young boy who mm-hmm. was assaulted. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, like, we don't say he was fast. If anything, right. we would say he's like, oh, oh, well, you know how boys are. They, And it's not, but but when women do it, when, when girls do it, they're too fast and it's a negative thing. When boys do it, oh, well, you know how boys are. They're, they're well, no, curious. But they're too and, fast in a good way. He, you're yeah, advanced because you had yeah. sex with an adult right. as like a 14-year-old. No, no, you're an abuse victim. Right. right. Yeah. And that's what it is. Let's call the thing what the thing is, mm-hmm. and that's called abuse. But I just I I'm just throwing that out there for you guys. What are you guys thinking in terms of how that plays into not because I think it, it's pretty obvious how toxic masculinity appears. But what about our interaction with it? I think we support it so much. I mean, in the Sar Kelly situation, I the fact that anyone could blame a victim across the board. There were the one woman was 20. I forget how old she was, but she was, I mean, well beyond 18 or 19. Blaming the victim in this, in a situation like this across the board is horrifying to me. So the fact that it's quadruple, it's exponentially more terrifying to me that anyone could blame a child. That's so that's just ter- like, it's not even just that they're children. It's that they're victims and like the non-belief of victims is just like something I could talk about all day long. But when it comes to toxic masculinity and all of this, I just sort of look at it. I, 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 it's the play on fear and on control that I think as a woman, 
and of course not every man, but like this, this, it's the exchange of power and control that I don't necessarily understand. And I just sort of look at like, why does he need this? And I mean, we get a sense of it that, that R. Kelly was abused, that R. Kelly grew up in a super tough situation and that there, there are reasons for it. But I don't know when it, when it comes to why he does what he does, why men like this do what they do, how much of it is just being a man in our society? I, and I can't answer that question. And you know, it's so hard to, uh, to, I'm sorry, now that we're finally woke as a society, a society but not what, 15 years ago, not even 10 years ago, it's, it's really hard to recognize what is toxic masculinity, uh, quote unquote, because we grew up in it. We, we've been surrounded in it. We've been, we've marinated in these juices for years. And, you know, um, the sense that men feel like they have ownership of everything and uh, they're going to get it no matter what. And women and, and anybody who, who's able to be um, overpowered in any uh, sense of the word uh, or anyway, is uh, we're used to that. I mean, I remember growing up and seeing uh, young girls getting picked up by older guys, their college boyfriends in high school, and not not saying anything because I didn't think anything was wrong with it. Oh, girls always date older dudes because younger dudes are younger dudes are immature. They wanted somebody who's a little bit more mature, like they are. And um, you know, me being younger uh, and uh, wanting an uh, older men, uh, I I felt like I was more mature and. I have dated older guys when I was younger. Oh, not, I'm sorry, not dated. I have been involved with older guys when I was younger. And um, not thinking that this is abusive, not thinking that I, I'm thinking this is right on my level. You know, he's mm-hmm. older. I'm thinking way past what these guys are thinking in high school. And for him, I can only imagine, wasn't an unattractive person. R. Kelly wasn't an uh, unattractive guy. You can have, you're a celebrity. You can have. You could literally have. Grownups. I mean, actual grown up, like actual well, grown people, but also, but also, like you can have, and so, but you know what? Okay, so wait a minute. Let me take a step back because I'm thinking this through. Can he? Can he have a healthy relationship? Because it doesn't sound like he's healthy. Oh no 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 at no, all. no! I don't think so. So no. really, in any situation, maybe the answer to that is he can't. Well, maybe I mean, he doesn't. I mean, like I'm not trying to give him. You guys know I ain't trying to give him no passes. He right, gets no. no hall passes for me. Um, but but I'm <laughs> saying like because of whatever his damage is, could can when we say things like you could have had grownups, like to to I what mean, to what degree? In the documentary, there are appropriately aged women that he has relationships with. But they, There's they, they one were woman, abused. Exactly. There was one woman who was featured at the end, like she was in her 30s when they met, and maybe he was in like her his mm-hmm. 40s or something. But like you know, that's a normal mm-hmm. age range. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Yeah. No. 30, oh, a 32 year old dating yeah. a 45 year old. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think there's an age where that becomes less of an. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well actually, maybe not. It's just that what we view as predatorial changes. So mm-hmm. 30. To eighteen seems a little predatory, but like forty to like ninety <laughs> seems. Yes. Do you see So like what we're calling predatory is different. Right. Let's get far away from the word teen on anyone's age, right? Like right. not nine, eighteen, nineteen. Like let's let's get ten years beyond that before. Yeah. 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 
But um, I, I, I guess my point is, like, he did have relationships with adult women, but still his interest in the relationship was still about control, was still about breaking mm -hmm. down this person. Anybody that he couldn't break down to the point that they were, like, his slave in this house, he just didn't continue a relationship with. So, and there are also those women featured who, like, when he took it to, like, the I'm going to start to take away your will. They were like, nah. They were like, homie. no, thank you. Nah, homie, I'm good. So, okay, and so, again, because, like I said, I didn't watch the documentary, right? So, I, like, again putting that out, then that's that goes back to what you were saying about control in particular. That that's that's why his victims were specifically younger girls. It's not because he liked younger girls. It's just that's who he could well, see, and it's get unclear. to do that. It's unclear because it seems like at first it was that he literally just like wanted to date high school girls. And then I think it maybe over time became, oh, I have discovered what I actually like is breaking somebody down and controlling them. And this is easier to... Yes, and it's easier. It's easier to accomplish that. Right. Yeah. Can I just say something as a parent? Because um, I have I have a 13-year-old son, a 5-year-old daughter, and I have a son who's almost 2. But um, for me, as a parent, I have had to become more cognizant and more vocal with my own children, my own 5-year-old daughter. I'm like, if this happens... I mean, for me, even when it comes to babysitters, I can never, I don't, my, my level of trust is horrible. And I now have a son. I don't know how many guys have told me my first time having sex was with, was with a sitter. Like, so, like, for me, even when it comes to my son, I'm probably a little more fearful of my son. He's 13, he's six foot tall. I'm like, oh, I'm terrified. So, for me as a parent, when you talk about, these topics as a parent you have to scream to your children you know their worth their esteem talk to me you know and Janelle knows me my 13 year old I was like there's certain things that I don't have to talk to him about so he's well at the time he was like 11 there's certain things that I'll talk to him about when he's 13 until I was holding his phone one day and he got a text message and my world opened up. Mm -hmm. I cried. My husband had to go take me in another room. I was emotional. And also, I just want to point out now, I might be a little biased. <laughs> but my godson nephew person is just the sweetest little thing. And all of, I love this kid. Like, he's this my own. Scary. I went through hours of labor with him through Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's all important. Said it. <laughs> and I used her body to do it, but yeah. um, oh, no. I, 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 I love this kid. I love this kid. I love, love, love this kid. Um, but also he is, he's, he's just, he's genuinely, honestly, he's genuinely a good kid. And I say that to say that I think sometimes what we also do is when we're looking at kids, we're like, well, well, oh, they're kid. Kid. He, have to do that. He, yeah, he's not going to either. He's not going to do that or yeah, he's a, he's a good kid. Good nothing. Kid. He's around good kids. He's a good kid around good kids. There's nothing to worry about. He's making about. straight A's. His grades mm -hmm. are good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Yikes. I, so I just wanted to interject that and then now finish. I'm sorry. What yes. You were saying. So for me, I have had, so first of all, I have had to scream to my kids. Like if this happens, talk to me. The stuff that I don't want to hear, tell me. You know, even my, I mean, like for me, sitters, if you're not family, and sometimes you can be family and still not watch my kids. Mm -hmm. Like, and Janelle will tell you, I'm like, I can never find a sitter. Because if you're not like my mom, my dad, it's like four people. 
But to me, as a parent, you do have to be, your eyes have to be so open. I mean, like you were saying, in high school, you were dating men that were over 18. Are you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be so, so, so cognizant of the things that your kids are dealing with. You just have, your eyes have to be open. If not, two years ago, the text on his phone changed my whole perspective. I remember very clearly getting that phone call. I was crying. I was I was. I I remember quite clearly getting that phone call, and it was a full-on breakdown. Yeah. She was like, are you kidding? Do you know what you're got? I'm just saying, I mean, it was a (laughs) full-on parental breakout. So, I mean, my quick, because I always uh, think that once I do finally have children, uh, I would like to be as open as possible, but also be protective. But how do you ride that line as a mother of being, uh, trying to protect your kid, but also like letting them live their lives? How do you? So like my 13 year old, I'm not your friend. Be mad at me. I don't care. Mom, can I go to the mall? No. Mom, I don't care. Like a lot of times Also, parents, she says it literally yeah. just like that. No. Like, no. Like, no. I mean, like, that's not. No, you want to say That's no. not just conversational. No. That's no. actually how she talks. No. 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 And then walk away. <laughs> no full stop. No commas. Or, nothing. I can be no, at the mall with you. I mean, right. well, I can be on the second floor. You can be on the first floor. But mom, when are you not going? Because I think parents, we want to be our kids' friends. And I mean, we love our kids. So it's like, oh, my gosh, she's mad at me. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you can be mad all you want. There's that YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen. I think I, I sent it to you. But there's a YouTube video where she says um, she's sitting there eating ice cream and pouring wine into her ice cream, which is the funniest thing. <laughs> yeah, like, she's like, she was like, at, she said, you know what? I just want to let you guys know at one point or another today, all of my kids are mad at me. All of them. And yeah. you know what? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, I'm like, not your friend. I'm not your friend. My job is to protect you. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that I can see that you cannot see. Mm-hmm. You, so right. I have my eyes have to be open. Now, when it comes to like sexual language, I ask my son, like, so has this happened? Is someone trying to do this to you? I am very, very, very open Mm -hmm. to the point where he's embarrassed i don't care because somebody is saying it to you Mm -hmm. so i need i need you to go ahead and tell me and the fact that you can respond to me indicates that you've heard it before right so like if i ask you a question Mm. and you have an answer that's an indication that this ain't the first time you've heard it right 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 right. you know this word so let's just go ahead and put it out even my daughter i've i've never used like yeah no this is what it's called and if someone touches you here you need to tell me Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use a cutesy word. Good. This is what it's called. Mm-hmm. If someone does these things to you, I need to know. Even with my son, he plays basketball. Coaches don't have my son's number. In fact, don't talk to him. Talk to me. Okay? Because I don't, I don't know where you're going. It's my, it's my kid. So I have to teach my kids, my, my son right now, when coaches come to you with basketball or they want, they want you to, hey, can you try out for my team? My, my mom. Now he goes, oh, she's right there. But but that is something that's learned and 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 it's taught like, like yeah that that is a thing that he has learned to do from from that that again and it could also be from your experience mm-hmm. um, as well because you've been in education for this long you have seen children that have come th- like I, my interaction with children is what when I go and speak to a class like yeah that's mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. maybe every quarter mm-hmm. unless they are related to me my interaction with children is so small that I absolutely wouldn't know I wouldn't know how to 
approach a situation, if I saw something that looked a little weird, you know, like at, at what point? It's not knowing how far is like this this kid is just having a bad day mm-hmm. I versus, asked. you know, I mean, but yeah, yeah. But I, also think of like when you were 13 and 14, I mean, in all honesty, teenage angst is a whole thing. You oh, know yeah. what I, I mean? So like, say, like, like, what about the rest of the village? You know, yeah, you, yeah. you've already instilled all this knowledge and, and you wanted all this conversation and you want that openness between you and, and your child. Um, but then they go out into the world and then they have influences of other friends mm-hmm. and, and uh, influences of all this other stuff and they do get into some type of trouble and then the adults in that village don't say anything. When do we come together as a village and talk about this? For, for me, with my own kids, um, relationships are everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so relationships start from birth. Me and my son are close because we start, we, we've always been close. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, yeah, I'm honest, and he might think I'm a little off because I am a little strict, but <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm strict, no. but I don't care. But we're close enough to where he can tell me stuff. Like, he's not, if anything, it's weird because I'm his mom, mm-hmm. but we're so close that he's like, Mom, I, I feel like I can talk to you as my friend. Sometimes I say stuff, I shouldn't say it. So you also have to have that open line of communication mm-hmm. to where your child feels comfortable with saying, like, I'm strict because I have your back. I'm trying yeah. to protect you. If something happens, you need to tell me. Yeah. I want to also kind of shift the conversation a little bit. Um, and ask how much should race play a part in this conversation? Because one of the articles that I had read was talking about specifically, again, with R. Kelly, um, that part of the reason that they feel, for example, that he was able to get away with Aaliyah and consistently thereafter is because it was black girls who were being victimized. and so do you think race should be a part of this conversation? Or like, what do you think? I think it's two things. I think it's race. I think it's economics. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Is that what you were going to say, Tara? I, I just, I'm flashing back to, I know you haven't seen it, but there is, they interview the jurors in, uh, in R. Kelly's uh, trial and they show this one, I almost, I, I had to pause it and like take a minute. There's this old white man some i don't know where he's from there's an accent i have no idea but he basically said oh yeah all those girls that were going up and and uh you know testifying i didn't believe them he he talked about how what they were wearing little girls like they were still children at the time and it was like oh what they were wearing how they were acting you hear how they talk you know i figured they were lying it was horrifying i mean mm-hmm. i, I yeah, no, I, I saw that portion as well, and it was just very upsetting to see very, and I mean, it, clearly the people who produced the documentary put it in there to drive home the point that the fact that, um, I don't even like to call him R. Kelly. R. Kelly is a musical artist that- His name is Robert. Robert right. <laughs> yeah. Robert is a notorious sex offender. Yeah. Uh, Robert clearly, hit, oh, that, that Robert's victims are mostly black women, clearly is like like obviously literally a part of why he has not been brought to justice like like inarguably in the jury booth somebody is sitting there thinking no i believe these black women so but what's what's your what what are you using to point to i i'm not saying i disagree with you 
But what well, I, I mean, am saying is, is for literally people, that that jury testimony where the man says, "I didn't believe them because of how they looked, how they talked, and what they wore." Hmm. I didn't believe them because of the way they speak and the what they were wearing and how they acted. Hey, you know, I think it's just the automatic uh, uh, bias to assume that it's easier to look at uh, POC women, uh, specifically black women, as being bad girls rather than uh, younger white girls, you know, right? Because, you know, uh, they grow up in economic situations that aren't the best, so they... They don't behave as daintily and they wear these clothes because that's all they can afford. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they dress this way. So obviously they wanted it. And, well, and, and let's talk about dress. I have to say this. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes our bodies are different. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes a size mm-hmm. small on my body frame may not look the same, look the same way on yours. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know. And in the, my case, it just wouldn't fit. <laughs> but neither here okay. nor there. <laughs> you know, like, neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> For, for anyone yeah. to say that what a child is wearing, that that, that is disgusting. Oh, yeah, I, I'm absolutely. Just, it disgusts me. I agree. It's like, what, like, what so, is happening? Which, again, you know, and I often use this. Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for bringing this up. So this is the problem with having best friends on the show. Oh, no. Oh, but dear. It, but I often I often refer to this. So C and I went to, to university together. And one of the things we were – you know what? It is what it is. I'm out here now. I might as well go on and swim. I might as well. I'm already out here. I might as well go on and do it. We were a part of. Uh, I know you. You have no idea. Do I remember? Oh, you remember? Okay. We were a part of um, a gospel group. Oh. oh. See, <laughs> told you she remembered. Gosh. Um, <laughs> so we were we were part of a, a gospel group, uh, both choir and I was a part of the dance group, and we both had our own very different but very similar situations. But the one thing that I remember specifically from her situation in, and I remember sitting in, in choir rehearsal being told not to wear open toe shoes because, and also this could be a whole other conversation about church and, and everything, but throwing the word amen at the end of a statement, don't make it right. You see what I'm saying? Like you don't get to say something just absolutely crazy and say amen so I can say okay and that's not that's <laughs> yeah. not how that works. No. Amen. But amen. You, see what I'm you see you see what I'm saying? But um what they said was you shouldn't really be wearing open toe shoes because you know you should be thinking about your brothers in Christ. They may have uh. a foot fetish. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You not, no. do you not remember that of oh, amongst okay. other things. Yes. I, Did I they know, literally I say know. that? No, there were many, many other things. Sorry. They Sorry. really <laughs> said that. I remember very clearly, I remember wearing okay. I remember when it happened, I was wearing jeans and flip flops as you do in college. Right? I was a freshman. I was a freshman in college. It was when we used to have rehearsals on Monday night at 7 o'clock, and we'd be there until like 11, um, and choir rehearsal, and that was a statement that was said. And so... So I say that, right? I know that was a tangent, but I also say that because that is a thing that when we're talking about, like, as, and I'm saying that too, because to me, even in that moment, even at, at the time I was 17, I was mm-hmm. 18, I was 18, I was newly 18 when I was a freshman um, at university. And even at that time, at newly 18, it just sounded so absurd. Right. So because ridiculous. You're still blaming, you're blaming people. And, right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I was like, so wait, I can't wear, so what if people like really like smiles? I can't, 
I can't right. smile. Right. Like, what if people right. really like teeth? You see what, what I'm saying? So, like, now fetishes? I just, like, yeah. I, like, my right. like, I ran out my head, man. So <laughs> right, right. So what am I supposed to do? And, and realistically speaking, within the community that we live in right now, but at the same time, you chastise people who cover up completely mm-hmm. you chastise you chastise these these religions who actually literally cover up completely because you're like that's horrible mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. but at the same time you're like oh but what she was wearing like it what the heck what am i supposed to do am i in or am i out um mm-hmm. but um I'm sorry, I, I got on a tangent, but I think that 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 is also the thing. It's it sounds so absurd when you put it to, they may have a foot fetish, right? It sounds so absurd, but it's not any different from we didn't believe them because of what they were wearing in terms of the shirt. Like that's it's really not a far jump. It's not even no. really a big step, mm-hmm. let alone jump. Anything that makes women as a whole responsible for men's sexuality, I think, is stupid. I think that men are responsible for men's sexuality. Like, or, I mean? like, whatever their actions are. Like, you know, exactly. like a right. human who does an action is usually responsible for and it, honestly, that's the, the human's action. We are still in a state where we haven't fully recovered from the idea that the woman is the keeper of the morality of the community. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so men's morality is somehow women's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's just and, and that's toxic masculinity, right? That's it. That it's not even your fault to begin with, or you only have partial fault in finding a young girl's toes to be just too demanding on your own self-control. It mm. sounds stupid. Like it literally sounds so stupid every time I hear it. But yeah, I'm just mad that they literally in the middle of choir rehearsal said, "No, they said what it. about the foot fetish?" Like really? Am I lying? No. <laughs> This is astonishing to me. Like, what? Yeah. How could you even force those words out of your mouth and not laugh? They said it. They said it. And not not just once. There 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 were lots of things. There were many things. But again, that could go on a different tangent because, you know, church and religion and whatever. So here's my question. And I think think when you and I talked, Tara, I think you're the one who brought this up. and, And I don't remember if it was something in your article um, specific to race, or if it was something that we just talked about in our in our aside about this. Um, but with respect to, mm, that's me. I'm a bad host. I'm a bad host. Everybody reaches. Everybody reaches for their phone. <laughs> Turn their phone off. Um, but um, yeah. So one of the things that you talked about was specific uh, to people of color, to to victims of color. So before I ask this next question, what is the thing? Because you you actually said something. Ah, crap, I should have pulled this up on the break. But you said something about, she's like, what did I say? What did I say in my article? Um, but you were talking about, you know, how you interact with with things that happen in in communities um, of people of color and how you act as a white woman dealing with that and kind of you likened it to how you think men should be approaching some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that part. I very much agreed with it. Yeah. And she's like, I have no idea the thing that I said. Um, but so let's just go off the top of the dome. What is the thing that you you have learned in terms of interacting with um, as you're as you're coming to see like some of these other experiences, what has that taught you that you think would be helpful to men in situations like this? Well, um, I mean, I as a white woman, I'm like the most cherished for no reason, protected for no reason, 
group of humans probably on the earth. So whatever I feel like I've experienced, it's sort of, you. I mean, I grew up in like the whitest of the white little town in Ohio. And then you get out in the world and live in New York for 10 years and go, oh, wow, there are other experiences other than my own. That's amazing. So first of all, there's that. And just learning that over a process of, I don't know, over the course of, a, you know, my whole life. But learning that already my own experiences as a woman and trying to talk about that and trying to understand where men are coming from and try, because you just start to get so, you just don't, you lose trust in, in men. You lose trust in, in, uh, I just can't imagine basically what women that are less privileged than myself, which I am the most, what, I mean, the terror and the fear that I feel a lot of times or just how that affects my daily life even in my own home when my doors are locked, that affects me. I cannot even, I can't even quantify, I, ca I can't understand. All I can basically do is step back and go, uh-huh, so for you times 20, times 100, right? So I guess when men are trying to understand what all of this means and just how deeply affected women are by all of this, all of it, I guess that's a, a similar path that they should take. Like, I can't even put, I can't even understand, but let me listen and try to hear and not coming from a place of defensiveness or like, you know, defensiveness comes up a lot. Not all men, hashtag. But you've got to step beyond that and get to a place of learning and just be open and hear people and not just hear the own tape in your head that says, no, 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 but I try, <laughs> or whatever the case may be, that's not me. It doesn't matter. It's your friends. It's somebody that you haven't stopped from saying some ridiculous thing or catcalling or worse, you know, like it's just getting beyond yourself and getting beyond the defensiveness and getting to a place of learning, I guess is. And actually having a conversation and, and having a back and forth with that. Um, I think we too often with these, uh, these type of topics go in with um, an automatic defense to whatever that you're, you're trying to have a conversation about. And then it turns into um, uh, this battle rather than a conversation about this is what's going on, how do we move forward at this point, and a continual, uh, a continuous uh, conversation with uh, multiple times if you have to, especially nowadays uh, with the Me Too movement, with uh, Black Lives Matter, with all these hashtag movements, um, too often we get, uh, we talk about it and then it burns out uh, but then those people who still want to have that conversation, um, you get uh, folks who say things like, okay, not this again. Okay, this happened. And then you become so numb to even wanting to have the conversation, and then it stops. And I think, not to say, it's R. Kelly is obviously, um, like you said earlier, the big, uh, the big media thing happening with this, uh, this particular thing right now. But um, when it first happened, and when I stopped, you know, the conversation stopped. Uh, whereas people was outraged and, oh, I can't believe. There were, of course, people who still um, would some kind of way try to justify his actions. But um, eventually the conversation stopped with R. Kelly. And then it was back to the music. Step in the Name of Love became like this big thing. And um, Ignition became this big. I, I think we have to be upset and 
stay upset stay and stay well, upset about things. That is a thing. And I, I just want to hold on just a second. I'm going to come back. Um, the, the statement that you said um, in your article, it says, men, I ask you, Mm, see that girl blind oh she blind let me go on and just enlarge that mm-hmm. um, men I ask you to really look within yourselves I ask like my POC friends ask me to really evaluate my words and actions because no white person is exempt from privilege and it is impossible to be 100% not racist this is wo- this is woven into the fabric of who you are in some way, and it's up to you to see and address the fact that as a man, socially and physically, you have the bulk of the power. Um, and I think that that, that girl's smart. Oh, she be writing stuff. Oh, she's smart. <laughs> um, but I, I really I really liked that because it, it's also important to, to look at it on all those levels of, of power because it's really easy to... Just like the argument is with with white privilege that, oh, no, I grew up in this poor blah, 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 blah. It's really easy to to define power in various ways um, and then not see how this other example of power exists. Like it's it's the, the dictionary has multiple definitions of many words for reasons. And, and in our society, power can be defined in multiple ways. So I think that that was the thing that I liked a lot out of your article that was, I'm, I'm hoping maybe landed with men in a way that you can say, no, I have to do this too. But not only do I have to do it, I have to continue to do it. I have to continue to ask myself questions. And make it to a, keep, yeah, make making it that active. effort. Make yeah. it, I mean, because sometimes it's, those things don't come to people easily, especially when you're trying to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, and you don't know what you need to unlearn. Right. You don't you know don't, what you already know. Yeah. And I, there is no such thing as too many questions whenever or too many uh too much information when it comes to these type of situations um as men uh as white people uh talking to black folks there's i don't think there's a certain point where you need to educate yourself but also being willing to have those open conversations and just actually talk and and without the whole well but uh, but 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 i also and but what about me and blah 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 and you know those. I'm sorry. I think if we, and I like the way the way you're saying is, you need to educate yourself and then have those conversations. I think if we approach it from a standpoint of, like a test of sorts, right? So the education portion is you studying, right? So you're learning these people. You're you're learning different experiences. You're learning what what women say it's like to be a woman. What brown people say it's like to be brown. What immigrants say it's like to be immigrant. And and then you go out into the world and you test that knowledge by asking more questions and interacting in ways. And so if we approach it from a standpoint where the education is the studying, this is me really, really trying to understand what's happening. And now I have to apply that knowledge by interacting with other people in the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe that if we stop looking at it as now that I have this knowledge, I'm going to go teach other people. No, no, no. Yeah. The the having of the knowledge is so that you can apply the knowledge, not give it away. Yes. You know, if we can kind of approach it from that. Were you going to say something? I was, but you were talking and it sounded so good, so I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And I don't think anybody wants their their uh, 
movement hijacked. I don't right. I don't think I want a a white guy, a, a, a heterosexual white guy to tell the experience of my homosexual blackness. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think any woman wants a man to, well, I read this on the internet and I, I read a few things. So Let, let me, me mansplain you, your let feminism, you too. Really right. Right. Let me tell you what they're really thinking about. You know, it's, it's not about that. And I think, um, it's going back to Facebook, because honestly, we're not as social anymore. We don't go into mm-hmm. to bars and stuff and talk about these type of things. Partly because um, for me, well, I mean, I guess in general for Americans, it's rude to talk about sex and politics and religion. So, I don't know that I agree with that. Mm. I don't know. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, go no, ahead. no. Go ahead. Um, go ahead and finish what you were saying. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I feel horrible oh, no, now. Um, no. So, I mean, um, I was saying that because on uh, Facebook, you know, you get into these conversations with people, conversations mm-hmm. with people. And that's where the uh, whole, well, um, well, I have a friend who told me about her experience, so I know all about this. Right. And she didn't feel that. So and she's no black. You, right, so, right. ergo, oh, right. Right. you must have that experience. And also, and um, you know, and then you, you get this one general experience of mm-hmm. these are what these people are, uh, these victims are. And I saw something on um, the news, I forgot, what, whatever. Uh, she, this woman, she wrote a book, she was raped, uh, gang raped in India, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, she came back and she was talking. And when you think of rape victims, you think of these, uh, generally, people think of these broken women who have low self-esteem and just can't bounce back from that experience. And she was saying, it was an experience that happened to me. I don't need to be looked at as a victim, but we need to start having these conversations about this and um, actually talk about it instead of being upset and then letting these women, once uh, these men get off, letting them treating them as if they were the in the wrong or mm-hmm. uh, as if they're these fragile birds that can't fly again and uh, we should just leave them to die type mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, we don't have, I'm, I'll always say this, but the conversation is always important. It's not about trying to convince mm-hmm. the other. It's always about the conversation and trying to reach a point of understanding. Mm-hmm. And the conversation I'll, is the goal. The conversation yeah. But I think that's the thing is that we don't do that. The, the end result is the goal um, in terms of how we're doing it now. But the conversation is the goal. The conversation is what's important. But I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I agree with saying that we shouldn't talk about these things. Because I think, I think, and not talk about, like, I know you're not saying that, but I'm saying, like, in, in XYZ company, like, right? So there are things that I think we have made off limits in a way to protect ourselves in this in this particular situation so those things are the things that keep people people quiet because we don't talk about them when nothing is happening so nobody's going to talk about them when something is happening and so it's really easy to be like yeah we you know we don't really talk about race relations at work we don't talk about politics at work we don't talk about um whatever the topic is at work but the thing is is one would hope but we know the same real um, that you would hope that wherever it is you're working will will like it's more likely your job will have a higher mix of people and experiences than your circle, mm-hmm. because your circle is going to be the people that you choose where you're on the same wavelength, you have the same similar goals, um, backgrounds or whatever. That's your friend group. Those are the people you chose, but work 
that's the those are the people that the company chose, which means that you're more than likely going to have a higher grade of of um, like a mixed group of people to talk to there. That's where the conversation should be. That's where those those conversations. Because if I don't understand, if we were to just break it down, and you know, I hate talking politics on here, but like just just breaking it down versus liberal versus conservative, right? When a conservative talks to their conservative friends, they talk about the extremes of what they've seen in liberal thoughts. When liberals talk to their liberal friends, they talk about the extremes that they've seen in conservative thoughts. Nobody talks about the fact that this person that has liberal views mostly thinks but however, I think eh, I think we're doing this a little wrong in these. Nobody talks about that middle ground, and it's and if you look at it, if you look at each of those topics that way, no one talks about that, and then you get all these people going out, and that's how you have red versus blue and black versus white because we don't know how to live in purple and gray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to live in these different mix of colors where you have these mixture of ideas because we never talked about it. We never talked about diversifying our thought process to get these multiple ideas. But I will also, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I also would say that part of the reason we don't have those conversations at work in places like that is because we don't have a common idea of what a respectful conversation looks mm. like. You know, like... As evident by Facebook, though, right? Right. So like, the fact that you go to somebody's page and you're respectful, but they come to yours and... And aren't well, but again, like we just don't, like, we don't have a common idea of what respectful is. Like a lot of okay, so a lot of um, conservative, especially like religious conservative people, think that the way to come to me as a queer person and say like something like I disagree with homosexuality, well, and they think that's respectful, right? Mm -hmm. They think that's the nicest way to say I think you're a person, but I disagree with what you do. Mm -hmm. But then I hear that as well, you can't disagree with who I am, you can't, that's just not how that works. You can't mm -hmm. disagree with me existing because I'm here, you can't stop that. Um, and so that to me is not a respectful thing, right? Mm. And so I'm not levels, gonna receive that. Again, with our definitions. Yes, exactly, definitions our definitions are, of what's respectful are can be very, and then the corollary to that is, if you're on the, the negative end of a power dynamic, it's always going to be in a certain way easier for you to be hurt by that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Just in terms of like, I mean, in part because like the power dynamics still exist in the workplace, right? So I once had a coworker, oh my God, it was I once had a coworker talk to me about like all the crime in Baltimore and I don't know, he named like three cities that were like traditionally have a lot of black people and governed by black people. And I was like, okay. And I just kind of left the room because that was not, because, like, A, you can't get angry, right? Because this is a workplace. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, a very frustrating thing that, like, I obviously have strong feelings about, but you can't have strong feelings in the workplace. And then on the other so so I agree. That's the place where we should have those conversations. But we need to develop new – and employers should, like, develop new norms about, yeah, 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 you should talk about this in the workplace because – this is something we're going to face as a company. This is going to something we're going to face as a diverse workplace. But these are the ground rules. Mm -hmm. you know? Developing well, rules that help you. And also, I think people are afraid because we live in a, I'm going to file a lawsuit on you because you hurt my feelings. 
type of society. Like I don't say anything at work because I don't have time for you to be filing grievances. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to ask you anything. I don't want to know about no. I, I don't want to talk because if I offend you, we've become so. I'm gonna file a lawsuit because he. So I think people are afraid of that too. Yeah. If I hurt your feelings, you can file a grievance on me. Well, and that's, another then, thing that's not clear. It's not again like like if we had clear norms of like this is respectful, this is not, then it wouldn't be a thing of. You'd just be like, people would know, oh, you can't file a lawsuit for that. That's just normal conversation, right? Or they would think, they would then think, if I were to take this before anybody, nothing would ever happen because we have these tools and, and rules that we use to But the to problem govern. is we don't agree. Yeah. The problem, and, and the judges don't agree. They do I, not. We just had, and this is briefly political, but not really. Okay. We just had a huge uh, wave election in I 2018. <laughs> in, I'm saying in Dallas and Houston, we had yeah. a huge wave where a lot of judges of one party were replaced with judges of a different party that not just of a different party, but like different gender, different race, different X, Y, Z. So if you had gone in front of this one set of judges with, you know, something that a lot of us say as people of color would understand as offensive, if you had gone in front of that judge in, you know, October 2018, that judge would have been like, what are you talking about? That's not offensive. You could go with the same case now in January 2019. Same evidence, same and case. And this black woman's yeah. going to be like, he said what? Oh, no. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they would. Because they don't even agree on the rules that we have. We as like, a society like, yeah. don't agree. It's just really. And it's so hard to have those conversations across not knowing what the ground rules are. Yeah. But so we have to do it anyway. We do have to do it anyway. And so, but, so here's the thing, right? With, with understanding, I guess, what we agree on or, or our, definition, our definitions of things. Um, I want to ask this question and take it back to human trafficking specifically. What do you think... So historically, we have a very um, obvious relationship with the word slavery, right? So how do you think our, our relationship with the word slavery mm. is impacting how we view human trafficking now? And, and what we think of modern day slavery. <laughs> I have, I have Chris to say has this. So, many things. so, you know, I think people assume that, yes, slavery in terms of like the plantation and like that has stopped in America, we think. What I'm saying is when you talk about slavery all around the world, um, in some instances, it really has not stopped. Um, and then slavery, the way most of us think about it, has stopped. But I think in some ways, it's transitioned into something else. And now it's called another word. I'm not sure if it's stopped. You know, when once again, I'm, I'm going back to uh, these, these words that make us our our antennas go up, and when you hear slavery, once again, it's always, uh, for me, violent and and really really active, I guess, for the lack of a better word, whereas this, although we know that uh, sex trafficking is happening, and and we know all these things are going down, but the way they're going about it, the the grooming that it takes, where they're not actively well, in some cases, not picking these girls up off the streets and just taking them in snaps. Like, girls getting hit on on Facebook through the messenger, 
and being flirted with with older men and Instagram with older it it is still here and or or it looks like this and I don't want to say too much because I'm in, you know I have to be careful what I say but or it looks like this I don't come from a very wealthy family my parents want better for me and they know they can't mm-hmm. get it but there's a guy that is interested and even though it may not be right my parents know that if i am with this guy then financially some things may change mm. like that's a that's, yeah. a situation that i can say has happened or it can look like and once again I'm, i have to be careful what i say um it can look like i won't say it because i don't know if i can say Okay, or it looks like this. I, th- I talked to a lady today, and she said something to me that in other countries they have handmaidens. And I said, oh, I want to, I'm tired. I'm a mom. I have kids. Wait a minute. And I said, So where do you get them from? Like, how, how, how do you get, how does, like, I mean, because I, I need to know because I need help. So, and she said, Well, they're from other countries. So when she said that, it was like a buzzword. Like, wait a minute, what? What you're saying? So now, and of course, I didn't go into detail, and I, I don't want to say too much because I very am very much involved. But it looks slavery, human trafficking, looks a little different. Only because I think it had to, right? Yeah. So yeah. like, so so that's again, and we've talked about this on shows last season where we talk about how things evolved and realistically speaking like I said just watch the documentary 13th and you'll kind of see it uh, play out but you know when when you say fine I'll give you this thing also known as freedom um, which by the way how do you have it um, and why you get to hold mine but I give you (laughs) I give you this thing right Um, when when you say that but you know you still want something else. I mean, it, it's, again, that manipulation. Like, fine, you are free until we enslave you another way, and then we call it this other thing. But technically, you're free. You were born free. You weren't born into this situation where this was where you had to be. It just so happened that, like, maybe you stood outside of a store too long, and we called it loitering, and then we arrested you for, like, life. And then made you like pick cotton. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't I know if that's ever happened. It's a foreign concept for a lot of white people. Like I, my background is super small town Ohio. Very, really, I'm an atheist, but very religious. Very. Do you know? I, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm explaining it as if I. Yeah, I'm trying to explain like, oh, but slavery, that's over. Do you know what I'm? Like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole idea of like Obama happened. We're good, right? And I. Yeah, yeah, that is a genuinely a foreign concept for a lot of people in our country today. They and just so think, oh, we're good now, right? This is we're, like we're all we're all good, right? We're good. We're good. We're we're good. Um, and but so, but that's also very interesting, right? Because you're thinking, I'm I'm thinking the same thing. Like, not I'm thinking the same thing, but I'm thinking people are thinking the same thing with respect to you know 
sex trafficking. Oh, well, the, the, the women's movement has happened, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not a big thing. Like, you've, you've had this Me Too movement going on for, like, some years. People have been arrested. People are like, ooh, I almost say that thing. So, like, we're good, right? Like, right. we're all right. Like, I think I think that's that's an interesting look on it that like it to me it doesn't seem foreign because i've always known that this is how history has worked but not being a part of you know a community that taught you this is how it always worked it is easy to be like yeah no no that's like if if slavery really still existed there's no way we could have a black president like that's not a thing right like that's not um but i think so connecting that with even so this article that I read specifically about the R. Kelly, um, the R. Kelly thing, and now I got to see if I can find it, but basically they talked about how women, how black women or girls are viewed, here it is, um, are, are, are viewed less innocent and more adult-like than white peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to what you said about what was said in that case, this this goes back to that. Um, but I also think, and it said it somewhere else in this article, but I'm just going to wing it so you don't have to listen to me try and skim. Um, but it also goes back to what I know of the way white slave owners justified having slaves, which is mm-hmm. black men and women do not feel they're not humans so they, they don't, don't feel, feel as much pain, pain. Yeah. the way that white people do they don't have emotions that's why it's it's easy that's why it was taught that way that's why that that thinking excuse me that thinking was taught through generation after generation after generation of white people is to be able to justify why it's okay to sell this child to somewhere else because that mother doesn't have emotions to have a feeling of longing and and separation. That child doesn't have the capacity to experience the full range of humanity. Um, and I think that understanding, again, our history with the word slave and slavery would help us understand why people can sit in a jury box and be like, I didn't believe it because of the way she looked and talked in the way she acted like she was she was I mean she was acting like she did and I think one of the things in this article said the things that she was doing wasn't childlike she was doing um she was doing things that were very adult like and I'm like I mean I don't like there are a lot of adults that do a lot of childish things that don't make them less adults like you know what I mean so um I think understanding for me when I was reading I was like I that has to come from our history of of what we think the word slave is, what we think the word slavery is, and how that's also impacting how we interact with these people, the, the black women specifically in this particular case. Mm-hmm. And um, on, on top of that, uh, being that some of those kids, like we, we said earlier, um, I keep going back to this, but it's not violent, you know, and um, because we don't see it out of sight, out of mind situation. Like, they're not screaming for help like a slave would. They're not trying to run. They're not trying to get away. Uh, they accepted the money. They did all these things. So she she wanted this. And why are we here in the first place? She obviously wanted all this stuff to happen. And now that she's, I don't know, getting cut off, is uh, it's all his fault? 
how dare you blame R. Kelly for stuff that he did as a grown man? And, you know, she, what about her? And because it don't look violent and because it doesn't look, uh, yeah, we, we just don't, because we don't, we're, we're taught to look for, like I said, we're taught to look for certain signs and certain signs are obvious or should be obvious to us. Um, well, obviously she is in school, you're picking her from, uh, uh, from school or whatnot. Um, obviously, you know, she's a young girl, but as a person looking in, outside in, I don't know who this young girl is to this young man. I don't know, or this older man in, in this case. Um, so how do I say, oh, something's fishy is going on. How do I not know? Yeah. Like, wh- where, where do I start with that? Mm-hmm. But that's like, how predators work, right? I mean, they, they've evolved to, to, to play on that. Like if they were just to snatch somebody off the street, we're we hopefully that. all gonna yeah. try our best wait, to stop wait, wait, what it. You doing? Yeah. It's the yeah. grooming, it's, the, it's a slow process where you get the trust of the parents and you get the trust of the child and you make the child feel like an adult and all of these, mm-hmm. or even an adult, this same stuff can happen to as we saw. Like that's how this process works. And also I think they lean on um, people's tendency to not wanna rock the boat like it's a normal Tuesday. I'm busy. I need my coffee. Like people don't want to be bothered. People don't want to get involved. People don't want to horrify. You know, girls are taught to scream fire instead of rape yeah. because people don't want to get involved. You know, like don't scream that. And that's that's also super telling too. Like when and 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 I have been taught that. I have been taught to scream fire instead of rape. Wow. That's that is that is that's what I've been taught. I mean, for years, I'd say I I learned that. I learned that back at, at university that you're supposed to learn you because nobody listens to they're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. And especially now, because, again, it's so prevalent. Like, do, do I like I at at minimum, there is a waffle. Um, and the, do I get involved? Like, yeah, yeah. Somebody's screaming for help. I'm gonna get involved. But ooh, there's at minimum a thought process like, ooh, what do I like? What, what I if mean? this person is? What if this is a lie? What if this is just to get my? What if? What? Oh, does that mean I'd have to? I'd have to appear in court or I, like at minimum there's a waffle versus fire. Everybody can die in a fire. Right. Let's right. go find out what this is. Right. You know what I mean? There's there's that. Um, what do you think? What do you think the R. Kelly case has taught us about human trafficking? I think that it comes in all forms. It can look different. Um, You may have to be the advocate even if a girl's parents are not. Mm -hmm. I think people assume human trafficking victims don't have parents around. A lot of times they do. Mm -hmm. Um, In this case, she did. Uh, so people have to realize they, you may be the advocate and it may be uncomfortable and you, it may not feel good, but you can't depend on her parents or her family members to scream for her. Sometimes you have to do it for them. Well, and I think also that you have to, sometimes you have to look at signs where even the person might say that they're okay because they're being coerced. You know what I mean? Because they're in a situation where, again, your food is dependent on this person, your mm-hmm. shelter is dependent on this person. Mm-hmm. They make sure that you have no money of your own. So if you try to they escape, to kill their family at one yeah. point, right? Yeah. 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 Sometimes it, you have to watch these signs over even 
what what the person would tell you that oh no no it's okay I'm fine mm-hmm. yeah but you don't have any money of your own even when you said you were fine you looked like you looked at him five times before you answered like am I fine am I good am I fine well so and and I listened to um, this audio book now I'm about to say it wrong but it's about um, um, it's about pornography um, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Bonnie. The last days of August. August Ames apparently um, committed, she committed suicide, um, I think maybe last year or something like that, but um, she was in pornography. Um, she was married, um, and her husband, I believe, was in pornography. And as it started out as this investigator, this writer, um, going to, uh, going through the process to, find out because of, a, of the bullying. She made a comment um, that she didn't want to perform with a particular man who had done a same-sex sex scene. Um, and that, of course, elicited response from people who were like, oh, she's, you know, hom- she's a homophobic, she's homophobic, she's, um, you know, whatever, 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 right? So they go through this list of things, and apparently she had this big amount of pushback um, for saying that 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 person was on her no list. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, people were saying things like, you should just jump off a cliff. Like, if you think X, Y, Z, or you think you're better than this person, blah, 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 blah. So for whatever reason, whether you agree or disagree, she received whatever bullying, and she committed suicide. Well, during the portion of him interviewing to find out really how cyberbullying played a part in the porn and in, in the land of pornography, um, even the hierarchy of women having no list and the power that they have no list, but then they also have husbands or whoever who may or may not control the no list. Even in the pro- process of saying who is going to be on your no list and who's not he starts to find that maybe that's not why she committed suicide at all. Um, And so it goes through this long list of things. And one of the things that was said is she, she had a particular scene with someone who was particularly rough. And I think this is important because we talk about consent also and how you can in fact revoke consent and how at some point you can be 1000% down even at the point of you're accepting money for this. So you're like, yeah, that's cool. We good. And then something doesn't seem right. And so um, there is lots of argument of whether or not it happened the way that she's saying it, even in her own diary and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, other women also admitted that for, for legal purposes um, in the pornography world, once they've completed a scene, they ask, are you okay? Was everything okay? Do you have any problems on camera? So that they have Um, a way to protect themselves. Right. But what you don't see on the camera, according to these women, is that the producer is off the side of the camera holding their money. Mm -hmm. Now, what they said was, is they've never seen it to where someone said, no, I wasn't okay, and they didn't get paid. But the point is, is they've never seen that because no one's ever said no. Um, and so those things where you're talking about even consent, 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 even if you're talking about in, in pornography where women have signed up for this for whatever reason, at some point, even, even to the point that you've said yes, 8 billion times, there's still a point 
where you can still be exploited. And it still could be, this This would be an example of human trafficking, but it would be dismissed because she's a porn star who signed up for it, showed up to work, took off her clothes, and had sex. So it's not human trafficking. But they said they wouldn't give her money until she said she was okay. Right. I, I think that that's, it reminds me of something that kind of relates to all the things that we've talked about, which is that like, I think that there's kind of a spectrum from when you interact with another person as a person to if you interact with another person as a commodity or as their labor or as what it is they're going to do for you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have this idea of going back to what you said about slavery. We have this idea that like slavery is this one thing over here Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's a plantation and a big house. But really we should maybe see it as more of a spectrum Mm -hmm. to like way, way, way on one end is American heritable chattel slavery, sure. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole lot of things on this spectrum that I would say count as slavery Mm -hmm. or count as trafficking or count as coercion Mm -hmm. to where you are more and more being treated not like a human, Mm -hmm. right? Because as a human, I care about if another human like, had a sex experience that they didn't want to have, right? Yeah. Like, I would care about that experience happening to any other human. But I guess, you know, these producers learn to treat this as, I don't care about you, I care about the check I'm going to get as a result of you. Mm-hmm. And so if that means I have to dangle your money in front of you so I don't get sued, then that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And you gradually come up with ways to justify that. Mm-hmm. You know, you come up with things like, oh, well, she's just a prostitute, so... Like, you signed up for it, so who Mm -hmm. cares, right? Or you come up with things like, oh, black people can't feel pain. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I didn't like the way that black woman talked, so I'm not going to believe her, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we come up with ways to... Yeah. It's, yeah. Can Can you tell us some of the signs that you have learned, maybe some of the signs that you've seen most that that maybe we wouldn't see? Um... One is changing behavior because uh, human sex trafficking, human trafficking as a word itself, is definitely happening even in schools. And it's not like the kids are still coming. I mean, you know, like, so I think changing behavior in anybody is always um, a huge deal. Um, people scream out for help in different ways. And, and you know, when, when a person comes to you, sometimes they want you to ask those questions. You have to, it's like, why are you telling me this? Like, hmm. Um, if something seems a bit strange, it may be. Like, it's okay to go, no, huh? I mean, for me, I've been in a hotel, and I've asked a little girl, how old are you? Mm-hmm. Like, actually, you have. Like, wait, yeah. she, I, no, wait, I, I'm sitting here thinking about it. She absolutely have. how old are you? And she says it just like that. Do you be walking how around? Yeah, can I have you? some, how old are you? How old are you? Yeah. Because I'm not sure you should be working here. Right. Like, are we sure? I ask. Maybe I ask too much, but I don't care. You hey. do ask a lot. I, <laughs> I ask. But better that, I mean, better yeah, you ask a right. hundred times and yeah. you find one person yeah. and get them help. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I feel like she's done that all the time. And I, it, it just, even sh- all, all the time that I've, all, I've known you and all the time I've ever known you, you have done that where we'll I'm be like, in a hotel and she'll be like, how old are you? Or someone at a, at a restaurant, how old are you? How old like, are you? I, like, and, and I just dismissed it as, she nosy. Like, I, oh, I, yeah. I literally, until this moment. If something doesn't seem right, I'm going to ask. If you're in the wow. airport and you see 
a person that's kind of standoffish, they'll, they don't look right. It's okay to say, are you okay? Because sometimes they really want you to ask. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you okay? Like, I just learned oh. something about my own actual best friend. Yeah, yeah. I asked. It just I'm never like, occurred to me that that's why you're asking those questions. I'm asking, like, how old are you? Because you look like you're 15. You probably mm-hmm. should be here. And sometimes they will tell you, like, well, you know. So I've learned to get out of my own comfortability and mm-hmm. ask questions. Yeah. Airports, especially airports. If you see a kid sitting by themselves and you know it, you know it does not look right, ask. Yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> right. See, and I would be worried to do that because there are these parents that feel like they can just be way over here and their child is like in another well, child. I'm like, excuse me? But but mm-hmm. does it hurt to ask? Yeah, I ask. Are you okay? Like, But then also on a certain level, like. As a black man, I would be scared to ask so, that now, okay, of I'm actually gonna say a the small, same. especially small Caucasian child. So Because I have done that before where I've been like, are you okay? And then a, a mom will come out of nowhere. You know, the mama bears will come <laughs> legit well, out walls. And, and, my, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm sorry. I just saw a kid here by herself. I just want to know she was so okay. So my she husband and I have like, had that conversation. And so, like, there have been times where we've been out together, and I'll ask. I'm like, you don't ask because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need those kind of issues today. Not today. <laughs> or tomorrow. Yeah, no, no. But um, I ask anywhere, mm. airports especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you okay? What about things that you, you think, you mentioned the hotel, but what about things that you think that we do daily? Like, are there signs besides something just not, besides something just sitting in your gut and you know it's not right? What what are what are things that you see? Is it is it a body language thing? I would say like body language, um, someone being standoffish, maybe definitely a change in behavior is a huge one. If they look too young to be in a certain place, you need to ask. Mm. Like, it's better that they tell you twenty one instead of yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we as black folks, we have this whole uh, culture of. Mind your business. Yeah. That ain't yeah. your business. How do we go into that conversation with us? Uh, girl, mm-hmm. look, not mind your business. Right. That girl is 15 years old, and you know she's 15 yeah. years old. Yeah, what are you doing like, here? Well, like, how do we break that as a, um, a community? I don't know. You know, and I think that's, one of, that's actually one of the last questions I wanted to ask, right, with respect to the R. Kelly case, right? Seeing the amount of brown women who are out and still supporting him now, in this moment, right now, buying buying of the tickets, yep. standing outside of the courthouse, um, in this moment, which to be fair is not super different from what I've heard other white women say about other white women mm-hmm. and Trump, right. Right? right? So the way that I've heard other women say, how could you support Trump and the things that he has said, I don't think that that is very different from black women supporting R. Kelly mm-hmm. um, in, in this particular situation. And so with that and understanding that, how do we, not specific just to race and R. Kelly, but how how do we? Because there's, there's something there that they support. Like, I don't want to turn it into... You know, women who support Trump or blah blah blah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is there is the idea that how can you be a woman and support 
a person who does this to women, whether that's Trump or R. Kelly. How do we approach that conversation in which, in a way that we think will yield a positive interaction? What are, how do we do that? I, I don't know. I, I mean, because I, I feel like all this stuff starts in the home. I feel like, I mean, teaching boys and girls at a young age, this is how you treat a human being. This is how you interact with you. And then you send them off into the world and you just hope and pray that other parents are having these same conversations. Mm -hmm. And, but then, then what if they're not? And just being, I don't know, like I said, I don't have a child yet. Um, I always imagine myself being a very honest parent and like letting them know there are demons in the world, but there are also angels. There are good sides and there are bad sides. You need to be prepared and letting them know that immediately. But, how do you do that without scaring the child half to death and not wanting to even go outside, but also wanting them to, I don't know. I, I don't know how you ride that line. I think a solution might be instead of focusing on the perpetrator to, to, to focus it more on believing victims. Mm. I feel like, so first of all, take any energy away from these people who are, doing awful things is always a good thing. But building more a society that believes victims, believes people that need people to believe in them, and when someone comes forward to support them and hear them, as opposed to smacking them down, especially if they're a person of color, if it's a little girl. I mean, you know, like people, victims need to be heard. Victims need to be supported, and they don't get that in our society by so many people. And I think changing that mentality would go such a long way. Whether this person is guilty or not, from the moment a victim comes forward, it stops being about that person as much. And it starts being about the person that was so brave to come forward and tell their story. I think that focusing on that might turn the tide in some way. I do think that like making a culture of believing survivors is part of how you change people's minds, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you just, if I just take it reflexively for granted as, oh, okay, yeah, I believe that. I mean, yeah, it happens all the time, so I'm not surprised it happened here, right? Mm -hmm. I think if you just sort of automatically have that response, then people around you will learn that that's kind of the normal response to have, mm -hmm. you know? It's a learned behavior, so it's like m m model by example type of situation. And I think that is part of how you start reaching, because that's, that's part of what's going to soften people's heart to not not automatically reach for the, oh, she's fast, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that then they can begin to hear what people what are return to them saying. that humanity that yeah. we were talking about people try to take away yeah so i uh as we close up what i usually like to do is do a round table where we give a takeaway and a leave so what is something that you would like to leave and what is something that you're taking away from the conversation and anybody can start first and then we'll go around from there i think um what i would like to leave is uh that sex trafficking like we said it it's 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 not always a violent. It, it always it doesn't always look violent. It doesn't always look like a creepy man snatching your kid and throwing them in, throwing them in a van and shipping them off across the world. It, it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look like the guy with the candy. You want a candy little girl? It, it doesn't look like that. And I'm I'm glad now that we're starting to get um, this this stuff is becoming visible again, yet again. But I. I Although I feel like women still are being ignored, at least it's hot. 
and at least people are paying mm-hmm. attention to now, and at least these things aren't just blowing by in um, a, a few weeks or months or whatnot. Like, we still want to know what's going on with Kavanaugh. We still bring up Trump and his predatory ways. We still talk about these things. And um, I'm sorry, not Kavanaugh, the, uh, Weinstein. Um, you know, we still want to know what's going on with all that, and we're still uh, involved in it, very much involved in it. And um, I think, like I said earlier, we need to be upset and stay upset and uh, and not listen to these, I'm sorry, not give in to the, the simple, well, what about her? And, uh, and, and, and let that sit and think about it too much. It's like, well, she did want it, but she's 15. She's 14. She, I mean, she don't know what she wants. She don't know that what is, she wants. That's literally a thing my mother used to say, and I used to get so mad because I was yeah. like, I'm 15. I do know what I want. No, I didn't. She was yeah. right. She was 15. You don't know what you want. You don't know what you want. I, I, want, I want pizza. You don't know that. You, you want tacos. You want like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're going to get them. <laughs> right. And you're going to eat them and you're going to be happy. You know, like, we, you know, that, that's true. That's yeah. very true. And, um, and uh, one thing I'm leaving with um, is, like, I, I've said like three or four times, I want kids. But um, I, I, the way I, I grew up with my mother, she, she was always working. So we, we never had that. Um, even though me and my mother are extremely close, we just, we never had that, uh, I never had that guidance, for the lack mm-hmm. of a better word. I uh, I had to learn it. I had to learn what to watch out for and uh, what to what to uh, look for in people and sometimes had to be burned a little bit before I found it out. Um, and it's no fault of her own. She was doing her own thing. She's a whole human being who had a life before me and have a life with me being in there. She can't be on my back 24-7 trying to protect me. But um, just, I think it's important to have the conversations with the kids um, uh, when it comes to sex and all the dangers and all of that stuff in that. And um, I'm leaving with a, gosh, because I want kids within the next five years, so I'm leaving with a little bit more security. In, in that and being able to raise a child in this crazy yeah in this climate so yeah um I guess for me what I want to say is be aware and don't be afraid of maybe being someone's advocate mm. it may not feel good and it may take a little bit of your time but you also could be saving someone's life so be aware of your surroundings Listen to people, um, and don't be afraid to be that person that's their advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what I have learned here, um, I never, I didn't watch the documentary because my heart couldn't take it. I have kids, and so my mm-hmm. kid, I'm already strict. Um, so <laughs> if I watch that, then I'll be strict. So they're never leaving they're the never, house they're again. They're going yeah. anywhere again. <laughs> um, I had no idea about the jurors. So for me, that gives me a different perspective in terms of why the case, even because I I also didn't watch the tape because I couldn't do it. But when you think about all that evidence, but I never knew that the jurors actually felt that way. That's that's just, it's very hurtful because I have a daughter. And so it's like, wow, like I never knew that that piece of it. Ms. Tara? Uh, Yeah, I think my takeaway is basically what Celeste just said. getting over the I don't want to get involved uh that being an advocate isn't always you know stepping into the sword and 
it's not always pretty. It's tough. It can, you have to get over that awkwardness and ask that child, how old are you? Are you okay getting in there and doing that? That's super important. And worst case scenario, mom comes running up and everyone's fine. Like worst case scenario versus best, like what you can do for another human life. There's just no question, like from the little things all the way to really advocating for someone and maybe not making a ton of friends, but making a difference in someone's life that can be a little effort from you and uh, I mean, life or death for someone else. So thank you, Celeste, for, oh man, I've learned so much about all of that today. Um, and I think my leave kind of goes back to when we were talking about Facebook and, and having these tough conversations. Um, especially just you just need to listen i i if i could i just wish that people could set down their defensiveness and everyone's got privilege i feel like so many white people i know don't get really get what privilege is and it's not you were born rich like it's not that simple everyone's got it it's woven into everyone in some way and when, when it's challenged, so many people get so defensive, but you just set that down, set it down and step into someone else's shoes. Use, just exercise your empathy and just try to understand where someone else is coming from as opposed to just popping off and getting crazy on Facebook or in person so that we can have these conversations because change isn't going to happen until we understand one another. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, just put down the defensiveness and try to understand your fellow human being is if I could leave anything. That's it. Mr. Silverberg. Uh, well, I, I, my take is the same as yours. It was, it's just like, I have to like go ask some small looking people how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but really, and like, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I think I have a flight coming up in like, about a month, and so like I'm gonna, I feel like I'm gonna go in this airport with a totally different like, mm -hmm. another set of eyes. Yeah, She's like, mm -hmm. yeah. being really? hyper vigilant. Right. Well, and it's also you know probably part of the reason they get away with it is because where are we like more focused on ourselves than the airport? You know, that's like, real. Where are my bags? And oh, that I'm going to TSA and I'm late yeah. for my flight. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but okay, you know, keep your especially like, and I'm sure they take like the red eye flight and the like. The, the late at night and the early morning flight where no one is paying attention to things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, more vigilance. And then um, I, my leave is, I just want to say again, like, you know, you think about labor on a spectrum and, and there is a point at which, like, we exploit labor so much or you reduce a laborer so much away from being a person to being just this commodity. Like, I think that's the common thread through all of this. Like human trafficking is, I don't care what your needs are as a human. I'm gonna treat you just as commodity, just like you said, like, mm -hmm. like they're a piece of luggage mm -hmm. on this flight. And R. Kelly with these women, like he just reduced them to solely, what can you do to gratify me sexually? The rest of it, nah, I don't care about. The rest of it, you as a human, like really, like you as a human need to eat, nah, I don't care. You as a human need to go to the bathroom, nah, I don't care. I'm only worried about this thing that you're doing for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that, in some ways, when we think of the word slavery and, and all the evil that that will conjure up in your mind, that you should also, that should also conjure up in your mind any situation where somebody is just totally reduced, they don't have any protections, so that they become only what they can offer to somebody mm -hmm. rather than what they need for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think, for me, um, 
ditto, 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 like right for the for the takeaway, I think there are two things. Um, one, I learned something about you. I, like I said, I, I very, I very, you know, I, it's, it's real easy when you're really close to somebody to dismiss little things. I'm like, no, nah, it's just a lot. She just asking questions because she knows she me. Um, but that's, that's not, you know, like I think, I think that what I learned is not only why you do it. I think what stands out to me is it's so simple because I've seen you do it so often that it literally takes five seconds from the time it, it could be like she and I are having a conversation. It's five seconds. She says, how old are you? The person gives her an answer. She's like, oh, okay. And then we keep going. It, it, I, because I have seen her do it so often, I realize how small it is just to ask one question that could maybe open a door to, you know, really understanding something. So I think that would be a, a, a takeaway for me. And as well as understanding, like you said, the way you called it the spectrum, but that, that website that listed 25 different ways and, and, and not knowing that I interact with it. And even as Celeste said when we first opened, how prevalent it is in Dallas, really in Houston. Um, and I imagine it has a lot to do too with the airport system in, in Houston. But, um, and how that's moving even into Dallas and knowing that, so putting those two things together and saying there's this list of 25 things and there's a spectrum of understanding what slavery and human trafficking is and then knowing how, like the proximity of it, I think is eye-opening um, and almost earth-shattering um, for me. Um, my leave is, there was a quote that I saw that says slavery and freedom are mental constructs and I wish I could tell you who said it, um, but slavery and and freedom are mental constructs which means that we have constructed our idea of freedom we have constructed our own idea of slavery and in understanding that if we start to realize that someone else's idea of slavery looks different from ours um, that perhaps these conversations and understanding that maybe it's not it's not the it's not the thing that happens slavery is not the thing that happens freedom is not the thing that happens but rather the feeling that it provokes and understanding that that perhaps we can really put our minds around what we can do to to make those things manifest to make freedom manifest um, that would be that would be my leave. So um, good show, guys. I have had a blast talking to you guys, catching up. Carlos with the return for the first for the first episode of the season. C and Tara with the first with the first time appearances, and I'm sure we'll have you guys back. Um, and Tara's written a couple of things for uh, for the blog um, too, so make sure that you check that out. Also, why don't you before we leave, go ahead and plug your blog, darling. Oh, yeah, it's called All Sparkly and Shit, and it's just, you know, feminist, atheist opinions. Go and read it. Yes, yes. Take a, take a look at that. Is there anything that you guys wanted to plug whilst we're here? So, I'll be doing a Ragtime as Booker T. Washington. <gasps> yes. Ah, yay! <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Music Theater of Denton, uh, the last weekend of February and the first weekend of March. So, cool. Yeah. Cool. We will make sure that we link 
um, those things in in the episode as per usual. Um, we will also make sure that we put some of the uh, things in our resources. So um, perhaps if you could help us, Celeste, with a list of, of things to look for um, and some resources that we can start adding and then just kind of putting this together so that um, as people are checking out the podcast and the blog, if you need resources or you need to know where to call or what to look for or, or what to do in, in various situations that you have a place that you can um, you can at least start to look at. Um, real quick as well, um, I want to shout out Saida Carter, um, another friend from um, university. Yes your sorority sister um but um i want to shout out i want to shout out her she actually hooked us up with bob Siga, who is um he did our theme music uh our new theme music for season two so you'll start hearing that in the and in, in the beginning and the end as we roll out so i just wanted to give her a shout out um i really appreciate you sis and um yeah we're gonna we're gonna take these things out into the world um as usual um you know, be kind to someone, create hope, forge a path, change the world. We'll see you next episode. Okay.